In today's episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we're talking to Dashboard Principal and Director of the Pensions Policy Institute, the one and only Chris Curry. and welcome to what we probably think of as episode 48 of VFM. We always lose count, don't we, Taryn? Well, you do. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You gave, you uh, gave but we haven't abuse. lost count. <laughs> we haven't lost <laughs> count of uh, the number of years that you've been on this earth. So happy 50th birthday, Darren. <laughs> I know, I know. And we, well, thank you very much, Nico. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm surprised I've made it this far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was hoping that, you know, I could coincide my 50th birthday with the 50th episode of, uh, of VFM. Like that would have been a really special <laughs> thing to do. But, you know, we, my, my fellow colleague, co-host, actually screwed up the numbering. So, no, um, come on. That's and, and, and also, you know, <laughs> insists episodes are specials when they're not specials or, you know, so I'm just totally confused now. So, but anyway, okay. it's, 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 it's so welcome to... to episode three of season two. There <laughs> we okay. go. Yeah, that's, right. that's, 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 right. yeah. it's like okay. when they reset the uh, calendar, isn't it? Yeah, this just... is now the the Philpian calendar. <laughs> oh, I like that. This is okay. Uh... Anyway, um, who have we got today, Nico? Yeah, so look, delighted, delighted uh, to be joined today by Chris Curry. So, Chris, uh, you're the director of the PPI. Uh, you said dashboard principal. I've written down principal of the dashboards. I'm not sure which sounds grander. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with either. Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and previously, uh, and I'm sure we'll hear a bit about uh, a little bit of work at the DHSS, uh, as was an ABI. It was not quite as old as the DHSS, oh. just DSS as it was. Ah. Uh, there we go. That was we were talking to, Lord, uh, to David Willits, Lord Willits, about uh, yeah. the DHSS in our last yeah. episode, weren't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, heady days. <laughs> but a little before your time. A, a little, <laughs> not much, but only just. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Chris, for, for this episode. And it's 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 really nice to have you on my birthday to to chat <laughs> well, everything uh, about pensions. Delighted to be here, Darren, and happy birthday. Welcome to the club. Thank you mm. very much. Yeah. Thank you. And Darren, much. uh are you up to anything for your birthday? Um you got any well, plans? I, 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 I was going out for dinner this evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my daughter's ill. So um, that's kibosh that. Um, <laughs> but I have to say a big thank you to a number of my pensions friends for um, taking me out last night. Um, mm. Obviously, drinks were involved and we had some nice food, <laughs> but we did an escape room. We did an yeah? escape so, room. Yeah. So, so we got locked in a room and we had to do lots of code cracking. Yeah. And um, yeah, you'd, you'd think Nico would be in the actuary that he is and, you know, the. You know, a man that rivals um, David's uh, uh, two brain willets in terms of the, all that computing power up there. You know, he, he wasn't that far in front of us all. You know, <laughs> yeah. you did all right, Nico, but you didn't excel, did it's you? It's a team exercise, mate. It's a it team was, exercise. You have to let others shine. You do. Um, no, it was great. We did fun. get out. We did get out. We did that's get the, out. Yeah. That's the only measure. But, but, a little but, bit. But, little bit over time but, well uh, yeah but that, that was value for me so you pay for an hour we didn't get mm. out in the hour much to um our embarrassment and i blame simon <laughs> q yeah you know because he really did mess up the last bit you know <laughs> just just flicking all the switches on the dashboard and then the lady radiating through saying if you do that you get locked out yeah it, it doesn't really help yeah so thanks for that simon yeah um but they gave us six minutes extra to try and get out didn't they or just to disable yeah. the alarm that we had to do yeah yeah and, yeah and, and save london yeah, to save London, yeah. And yeah. and to me, that's value for money. We got an extra six yeah. minutes, didn't we? We got an extra six minutes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, um, so moving on. Swiftly. <laughs> uh, we always give our guests the joy of picking the first news story. So, Chris, yeah, what, what, have you, what do you want to talk about this week? Well, so, so this week uh, is an interesting one. Obviously, we are expecting a general election uh, at some mm. point in the next 12 months. Uh, and in some ways, there was a bit of a kind of early early bid 
from the Labour Party this week with their financing growth paper coming out, which mm. uh, very excited to see it coming out. Saw some of the headlines. I thought, great, a, a paper about pensions. Obviously, there's not a lot of pension stuff in there, but uh, I thought it's still interesting to see that uh, that there is some stuff coming out this far ahead of even an election being announced uh, mm-hmm. and some interesting comparisons. Things maybe not that different from uh, from things which are going on at the moment, but uh, some interesting twists in there as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So like, do you think this is because there's some big questions that need answering when it comes to pensions and there's some big debates. And um, yeah. we were talking before. Well, look, we, we, I think we've been established enough now to say when we talked before, we were talking in the green room, weren't we, Nico? Yeah. <laughs> About, um, you know, big issues around <laughs> the state pension, you know, big issues around the triple lock. Now, now do mm. you think this is a, you know, an opportunity for Labour to avoid making sort of long term pension commitments ahead of the election do you think it's a bit of a strategy to say okay yeah let's um you know we're going to look at this we're going to look at it properly but we're going to do it in our own time yeah um which has its advantages certainly from a pensions industry perspective um because yeah like you i I was i got quite excited by the headlines but it's a bit thin wasn't it I think there's certainly an element of continuity in there. I mm. think there's a, a bit of reassurance that everything that's happening at the moment isn't just going to stop uh, and be completely reevaluated and turned around. So, uh, interestingly, the kind of consolidation, obviously, maybe a different way of getting there, but it's still a key theme uh, of what they're looking at, both for DC and in the LGPS as well, interestingly. Mm. Mm. I mean, I was uh, the bit that, that, that struck me, obviously, with the background I've got at the moment is the uh, the review, uh, an in-government review, interestingly, uh, of, of basically everything around to do with pensions and looking whether it, they, the system as a whole provides adequacy. Uh, mm. And that's something that we've been very interested, obviously, at the PPI for, for quite a while and have evolved, uh, devolved created a framework to help us look at those kind of things, yeah. uh, which I'm sure we can touch on. Uh, but yeah, so I think obviously if, if, if they're looking for any help in government, if, if they do form the next government, then uh, we're very ready to uh, to come and provide the materials for them. Well, you know, who, who better than the Pensions Policy Institute, you know, um, mm. independent, you know, good quality analysis and always great debate and discussion at your events. I should declare an interest because I am a trustee um, as a <laughs> of, uh, of the Pensions Policy Institute, but I don't think anyone would um, begrudge me, you know, promoting the virtues of the, the PPI. I, I well, because this is a not-for-profit. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly, exactly. There's exactly. no conflict. And, and, and Chris, is that a role that you kind of performed with other governments, other oppositions at the PPI, so sort of supporting that kind of wider fact-finding and maybe getting as far into the, the policy stuff? Yeah, we do. So it's it, it's something that we're, we're we're open to anybody who wants mm. to come and talk to us about about pensions policy. Uh, we are obviously being independent, uh, and we can be very tight lipped as well. So mm. kind of coming to talk to us isn't broadcasting anything anywhere. Uh, a very good sounding board, I'd say, mm. is probably the best way to describe us. But uh, but yes, we're very op- open to to feed evidence back in. We won't tell mm. anyone whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. So we're not going to say actually, as a party, we think this is awful, or actually, yep, that's definitely <laughs> a vote winner. But we'll tell them kind of this is what the implications of what you're suggesting will be. This is what it might look like. This is what the distributional consequences might be. It might cost this much. So maybe uh, I mean I think it's really an important part of our role to just inform that debate and to make sure that people are aware of all the trade-offs that they are. I mean, pensions is really all about trade-offs. And what we do is is highlight what those trade-offs are so people can be in the right the, the right position to make their own judgment as to whether that's an acceptable or the right trade-off to make. Um, so just between us three, yeah, um, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you must think that, you know, some ideas are pretty bonkers. <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment, Darren. Uh, <laughs> well, it's you as a, on the trustee board meeting. That's that's where yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. The most bonkers yeah, idea. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So I first came across the PPI back in I think it was two thousand six, two thousand seven, and it was yeah. at the time when DWP were doing all of the um, white papers on um, you know, personal accounts delivery authority and um, the the shape and the detail of auto enrolment. Yeah. And I think um, you know you were working very closely with um well not working closely with the conservative party because you don't work closely with any organization yeah. but one of the topics that they really picked up on in the passage of some of the bills at the time was this um whether it pays to save or not yeah and the introduction interaction between means tested benefits the state pension and auto enrollment thresholds and stuff 
Um, but I just think that was a great example of you putting evidence out there and actually making a real difference when it came to, you know, that, that public debate and public discussion as the legislation was going through Parliament. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, that was really, really positive and really helpful for us at the PPI, actually. It came, came just after the Pensions Commission. Uh, and interestingly, of course, so I'd I'd given up uh, a kind of a, a steady job at the ABI to come and work as the research director for this three-person organisation, kind of starting from scratch uh, in 2002. And of course, first thing that happened in 2003 was a new pensions commission gets announced. And we're thinking, is. great, that's the work we were planning to do for the next five mm. years is now going to be done by someone else and in a very public arena. Uh, but it did, it actually was the making of us. It really helped us to, to, to establish that there was a need for this independent view. I mean, the pensions commission were brilliant at getting consensus and allowing people to talk about it in that way. Uh, and you're right, once we started to get into personal accounts uh, and looking at the interaction with means-tested benefits, the introduction of savings credit and pensions credit, uh, this was before kind of there was much real discussion. Uh, we'd been looking at it, but there wasn't much political discussion at all about introducing a single tier pension or a, a yeah. bigger mm -hmm. flat rate yeah. state pension. And there really was an issue around kind of how how good a, a person's contribution record needed to be in order for them to have enough to make it worthwhile them getting a decent return on their saving. Uh, it was a very interesting discussion we had with, as I remember, both the Treasury and the, and the Department for Work and Pensions at the time. Mm. Uh, we, we had models, they had models. They were generally coming up with some similar types of analysis, but the interpretation was really interesting. So mm. uh, it was a really good test for us to make sure that we could maintain that independence. Uh, and ultimately, I think it, it really helped when uh, w w when the, the policies came to be implemented. And I think it might have had a little bit of influence in that, that flat rate state pension debate as well yeah yeah and no, i think it i think it certainly did and i remember um when i joined the napf and this is slightly later and we did lots of work together when you were there but yeah. you were doing modeling for um an apf as it was on um state pension and yeah i think that they, they, they didn't call it single tier did they they what did they call it it was um a universal it, pension or something like that yeah wasn't it, it? it started off as a citizen's pension citizen's pension that's it yeah and and it's really interesting because because most of the arguments against the citizen's pension were all about the qualification rules and how long you needed to live residency in the country to get it residency and, yeah, tests yeah. and mm. things rather than actually what we were trying to focus on was actually what would the outcomes be for a flat rate pension as opposed to the the kind of the, the evolution of the earnings related pension we had at the time which mm. was which was going to go to, to two flat rate pensions which would have been a bit of a yeah. strange situation anyway <laughs> yeah. yeah i do love that analysis like it was it's in the um annex to one of the turner commission reports isn't it um yeah. which is just you know how we've developed a system where you've got an earnings related state second pension but you know fast forward given threshold up rating policy 30 40 years or whatever it was it's no longer going to be earnings related just by the, the, the general <laughs> yeah. construct of the policy um, yeah, uh, anyway nick nico you 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 had um I'd, I'd like to come back to a lot of the issues that may may or may not be raised chris in um, the labor policy review but maybe for yeah. context nico your news article um sort of dovetails with this with chris's quite nicely yes uh very much so so um uh, Louise Farrand, uh, guest of the podcast and dear friend of us, uh, writing and pensions expert. Uh, so, uh, friend magazine of, uh, of course, uh, us when we, we we haven't been to the pod for a while from DG Publishing, but uh, in in the DG Publishing stable. Uh, so, Louise writes about essentially a sort of uh, a policy looking forward over 2024 article. Um, and I think it really highlights just how much is going on. Um so I'll, I'll maybe just sort of name check the topics and then we'll see where where our interest goes. Uh, but consolidation, yes, that's going to continue and the pressure, I think, will will continue. Uh, of course, the Mansion House reforms. Um, we've seen some progress on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were at the uh, Net Zero, I was at the Net Zero Investor Conference on Wednesday. And, yeah, Mansion House and LTAFs were both on the agenda. Um, so that liquids agenda, I think, in DC is going to be is going to be huge uh, this year. Um, the lost generation. Uh, so I think this is about uh, the, uh, the the age gaps uh, in the policy between uh, well, 18 and 22, um, thinking about how we make sure that people who didn't join the system um, until uh, later as well um, to, 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 to be uh, thinking about catching up. 
Um, so essentially raising contributions and bringing adequacy into the, the discussion. Um, very, very germane, I think, to the, uh, the, the PPI framework. Um, guidance and advice. Um, so uh, I can't remember the closing date, but it's not yet. Um, end end of the, February. Is it? Yeah. For the, uh, is it a call for evidence on the, um, discussion, the guidance? An FDA, a discussion paper. HNT discussion paper, I yeah. think it is. Yeah. Um, there's, there's um, some good stuff in there. Simplified actually. advice. There is good stuff in there. Um, we, I'm sure we can come back to that as well. Uh, and then uh, last but very much not least, Pots for Life. Um, so, uh, I mean, look, Darren, we've got a future, I think, in keeping this podcast going. <laughs> there's a huge amount we can be discussing in 2024. They're, they're, um, they're definitely so. And um, I think <laughs> that, um, you know, both from the Labour Review perspective and also from what you've just outlined there, Nico, I think we need to sort of take a step back and think, well, what does good actually look like? What are we trying to achieve with this system? Yeah, because I think, you know, we, we, we talk about policy change here, policy change there, policy change over there. Um, and sometimes the, the, the policies build on each other and go in a yeah. sense of direction uh, or similar direction. Other times they just diverge. Mm. And, um, you know, Chris, as we've got you and um, you, you've already mentioned your pensions framework. You know, to, 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 um, and, and this was an initiative that um, it's been around for about three years now or so, isn't it? I think you might, you might be on your second. I think you're on your third one. Um, but, you know, what is the idea behind that pensions framework to, to really explore some of the trade offs in policy and to, to help people work out what we're trying to achieve from this system? Yeah, that's that's absolutely the, the rationale behind it. So we've been we, we, we've, we've been thinking about it for a while and thought, actually, uh, I mean, as you said, uh, policy development in pensions is relentless. I mean, mm. there is always something being developed, always something being evolved. And normally the next the next big thing is being developed before the last big thing is actually implemented. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of it, there's this kind of rolling program of, of evolution uh, that's happening all the time. And and one of the things that we've noticed and is quite interesting uh, and actually is borne out by, by the fact that the, the Labour Party paper that came out this week is from the Treasury team even though it's right. covering mm. pensions that's not there's nothing dwp related there it's a treasury uh, angle as part of that and that's been happening more and more generally i think mm. but the treasury and the dwp don't always necessarily have the same objectives don't come things from the same perspective i know from uh, a bit of experience exactly <laughs> uh, and so we were starting to see that uh, the kind of the the, the the way that policy was being developed and implemented wasn't necessarily all fitting into an overarching template or, or with a kind of a, mm. a, a a wider goal in mind so mm. uh, we thought it'd be a very good idea for for the uk to have its own pensions framework uh and who better than the PPI to put that together as an independent organization to try and bring all that evidence into one place. And that's really what it is, is bringing together the evidence to not say that, yes, this, this, is, this is heading in the wrong direction or the right direction, but uh, to look at those in inherent trade-offs that you get. So the three kind of main, main structures that we're looking at within the framework uh, are, is the system sustainable? Uh, is the system adequate? And is the system fair? Now, it's very difficult to find almost impossible to find a policy which will improve all of those three things. Uh, but every policy you make has an impact on all of those three. And so mm. it, looking at how they're balanced uh, is, is really important. So we've got, uh, I think it's somewhere approaching 40 indicators in those three different areas that we monitor on a regular basis. We're now into the third year. So we just published the third year of the, mm. the, the third report. Uh, we're carrying on uh, for another year. Uh, should say now, uh, very thankful to the, the sponsorship of Aviva for the over all of the years and continuing yep. going forward. Who are very happy to to let us do it in an independent way as well, which is really mm -hmm. important. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, so we spent the first year kind of working out and uh, kind of what the theoretical framework should look like. Uh, the second year. Uh, working out what the indicators should be and providing that baseline. And the year that we've just published is the first year we've looked at, uh, at kind of how the system is evolving and what might change over time. So it's actually, I think, a really powerful tool for us to look at, 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 at prospective policy changes. So this year, mm. I'm really excited with an election coming up. Uh, if proposals come out uh, that, that have enough detail in them, we can we can put them through the framework and say, this is, this is how it's going to change adequacy. This is how it will change fairness. This is how it will change sustainability, which I think is, is ideal information for, for helping determine whether a policy is going to work or not. Uh, but this year, we, we also looked at kind of how other things are, are likely to affect 
pension outcomes going forward and we majored mm. quite a lot on housing mm. Uh, mm. it's one of the real challenges and i heard uh, uh, Lord Willits talking about it on your podcast earlier this week. Uh, so that's that's a real challenge going forward. There are some some really serious trends uh, amongst those going into retirement. Uh, uh, and we're predicting and projecting a much bigger increase in those who are going to be in pri the private rented sector. Of course, if you're paying rent at private rented sector levels all the way through your retirement, uh, not only do you need a lot, lot more income, but you don't have the asset of a house behind you either. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a real challenge to adequacy, uh, just looking at where the housing market is going. See, mm. we're in great company, Nico. Yeah, because um, the latest edition of um, Rest is Politics podcast which um, with Roy Stewart and um, Alistair Campbell, they had a really good discussion about housing and housing inequality and that. And I think, you know, we yeah. basically set setting a bit of a trend here. Yeah, did they uh, discuss us? They should reciprocate and name drop our, 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 our random musings. They um, should. So, so if people I mean, I have to say uh, to Rory and Alistair that I don't listen to you. Um, and so uh, Emma, Emma has it on at various times that we're doing housework and, you know, painting or whatever we're randomly doing, digging up floors. Um, and so I have, you ever have that sort of experience where it's a sort of 30 minute thing and you get two minutes at disjoint <laughs> points. <laughs> um, they seem like very nice chaps, uh, but uh, there's there's only so much politics that I, I want in my life. I really uh, enjoy just it. one last thing on the, on the article. Um, so quick quiz, what didn't I say in terms of policy coming up in 2024? Think I'm about your hats, really, Darren. Think, think, Automatic think, enrolment. Yeah. Pensions dashboards. Pensions dashboard. Yes. Value for money. Value, value for money. money. Oh, I should yeah. have guessed. Yeah. yeah, but value for money is um, <laughs> it, it, it runs through everything. That's what we we're discussing. It's the it's the glue that holds everything it together. It does absolutely. But it but it but it was a sort of um, it had a period of time where it was the bullet point that hmm. was what were the uh, i think the the streaming platforms would call it the tent pole that you put all of the rest of the the canvas was held up um and now i, I, I mean it's it's sort of obviously louise's prioritization here but uh, you know are we going into a world where you know in this election value for money is deprioritized and maybe the more productive finance elements and the mansion house piece and uh you know the the, the other elements of uh, that we've been talking about in terms of linking into adequacy and maybe even the wider social agenda are kind of more more prominent i don't know yeah. um but uh, we'll continue to call this value for money vfm won't we <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but uh, the, the <laughs> other thing that's sort of missing was things like um, at retirement decumulation. You know, you might pick that up in the advice guidance boundary stuff, but you know, there's quite a lot of DWP work going on around, um, you know, soft defaults or guided pathways or however, however you might want to describe it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this uh, is in no way uh, slamming Louise, right? So. <laughs> oh no, 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 not at all. No, no. <laughs> No. As we said, I mean, we could, we well, could keep could, going on, and we, we uh, could, could this, you? Cause this, maybe this should have been a, a doctorate that she wrote, you know. <laughs> but but also, like you know, pension tax relief, you know, um, well, they won't they reinstate the lifetime mm. allowance? You yeah. know, there's so many things, and and goes to your point um, at the top of the show, Chris, which is like, it's just so much going on in pensions, yeah. um, which is which is good for the PPI, and it's good for people like me, and it's great for our listeners. It's even better yeah. for our listeners. So so it's last thing on the framework. Um, so can I can I. Oh, Oh, gone then. Yeah. No, I was going to say. Um, no, go on, one of the go on things. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about the framework is um, the policy wheel. Yeah. Now we're yeah. going. We're going slightly niche here. I know. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the, but you've created this wheel with um, drivers and indicators yeah. and stuff. So so you know, and I think it's a great rep visual representation of some of the trade offs, and it allows a very visual scoring system. Yeah. To be developed in terms of yeah this mm. policy is bonkers or you know this one has got slight 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 legs my words not the PPIs you thank know, you avoid us yep. any doubt um you know how, how, what what feedback have you had on that you know um where, where do people find it you know um is this going to make a difference in terms of you know better policy making yeah i mean so the, the, the feedback is generally very good as you say everyone likes a visual and actually this is quite a striking one uh, it, it's uh, for those that haven't seen it. It is a wheel with all the indicators, kind of part with the with the main main uh, three three main objectives overlaid on top of them. Uh, it's color coded, so you can see at a glance kind of which bits 
aren't, aren't working as well as others uh, i think uh, and, and that works really well uh, so we're doing we, we, we're trying i think and we will be doing a lot of work to to kind of make it integral to a lot of what we do going forward um, it's it's easy to find uh, on, on our website uh, and actually all of the research we do is on our website and is available to download free of charge anyone can access it that's that's one of the charitable objectives we we want to achieve by by making it available to anyone who wants to use it mm. uh, but yeah we, we're going to be doing a lot with it I think on on social media uh, we use LinkedIn a fair amount uh, and as I said I think this year in particular it being an election year where there are ideas that come up uh, and actually uh, probably give a shout out here to a, a kind of a, a supposed rival as well but someone we work fairly closely with the ifs they're doing their pension review uh, at the moment and i can see a lot of of what they're what they're coming up with or will come up with will be perfect to have a look through the lens of the framework mm -hmm. uh, and see how it all goes so i think there's that, that there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for us to, to use this this is, was the perfect time to be, be bringing it out and, and once it's there and established hopefully it's something that we'll be be using on a regular basis and uh, yeah. as i said if uh, if any new government decides they want to do a review we've got uh, quite a good way of uh, of looking at the outcomes and judging any potential policy uh, policy options against uh, already and waiting to go it's like the wheel yeah. of fortune isn't it like will the government just spin it around and see what, where something we, lands we had all sorts of discussions about what it should be called uh, different acronyms that came up with but we ended up by just calling it policy wheel or the pension yeah. policy wheel it reminds me of the uh, of Kate Rayworth's uh, donut donut economics that that sense of a sort of yeah. holistic uh, yeah. kind of scale. Just just a, just a question on the general election. Um, so you very accurately said within the next twelve months, as opposed to within twenty twenty four. So I think yeah. we can now say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so I mean, it, 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 is your sense, uh, and maybe is this a hope or a fear that that sort of pensions content will be heavy or light in the general election? Um, you know, it, it, it feels like there's a lot of um, burying of a number of topics uh, or consensus. You know, neither party needs to, to kind of raise them. Yeah. What's, what's your thoughts? Uh, I th yeah. It's difficult to tell. Uh, I mm. mean, it, it will depend on all sorts of things, including how much time they actually have to put manifestos together and time for campaigning and things like that. I, I'm not sure there's anything really that's in the pension space that you would say is going to be an absolute vote winner. Mm. Uh but equally, uh, you wouldn't have thought that kind of social care could be such a destructive force uh, previously as well. So you've got but, to be careful. I think the, it, it's more like it's more likely to be vote losers than vote yeah. winners when it comes to pension stuff. I think, I think um, that's right. Pre pre election, like um, you know, so if you look at some of the really big strategic items that really move the dial, um, society wide or um, fiscally, yeah, yeah, things like state changes to state pension age, triple lock, you know, yeah. um, big ticket tax relief reform social care yeah. you know there's there's some of the big ticket items and yeah yeah you know it's, it's quite handy to have a commission or um a, yeah. a, a review that you can just sort of um you know pass pass stuff like that off to because they are really really difficult issues you know yeah. and there's mm. some stark choices and stark trade-offs and and they just don't play well ahead you know ahead of an election uh, i think that's right yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised to see anything about state pension age for example because mm -hmm. uh, there's no need for anyone to go there uh, i think there are areas of consensus that people might put in just so it it kind of appears that that they are, are in agreement i think automatic we like, enrollment we, li we, we like automatic enrollment yeah. automatic enrollment <laughs> is definitely one of those uh, and i think despite the the private members bill last year there's still not really a timeline or timetable for for yeah. implementing the 2017 review which obviously I have a very keen interest in making sure uh, that that happens. Uh, pensions dashboards, I think there's all still consensus, I think, there across the political spectrum. So I would hope that those appear in manifestos again as well, just as a as a reaff reaffirmation of the commitment to doing that. Uh, and despite, uh, I, I think, Lord Willett's hope that, uh, that they'll stay away from the triple lock, I'd be surprised if at some stage someone doesn't commit to it for at least part of the next parliament. Um, mm. But I hope that when they do, they also go into a kind of starting to investigate ways in which it can be ended. And this is always a really difficult, difficult area because clearly politically it's really difficult to, to end the, 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 the triple lock. Uh, and there's still an argument to, 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 to kind of say, well, when, when is the right time to do it? Has it, has it mm -hmm. run its course yet? Has it got the, the state pension to the right level? And no one's really producing any analysis in that space or working out really and i think this is the key question what is the state pension for 
So mm. what, what's the long-term sustainable role of the state pension? That should be a more important question than, than how should we uprate it each year for the next five years? So I, I'd, I'd hope that, that people will start to, even if they say, well, at some point in the next five years, we will start to look at it. But uh, I think that might be a bridge too far for a manifesto. It's tough, isn't mm. it? It really is tough. Um, because I know a lot of the modelling work that you guys have done, Chris, at the PPI, um, if you if you strip out the triple lock, or if you stop the triple lock, then the adequacy stuff yeah. looks a lot, lot more challenging um, projecting forward, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And as it's interesting, people quite often see the, see the triple lock as, as a kind of generational issue that kind mm. of it's, it's uh, the younger generation of today paying for wealthy pensioners to be able to keep themselves in the manner to which they become that's, accustomed. That's but, what I tell my dad, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but I mean, even if, and, and I get aware of the figures that the Resolution Foundation and uh, and the IFS and others have got to say that, that kind of pensioners are now no more likely to be in poverty than, uh, than the rest of the population, it is an interesting an interesting stat but i'm not sure it should be the benchmark that we're looking mm. at for, for a couple of reasons one is uh, a kind of uh, that th there's much less income dynamics when you look at people who are retired mm. so mm. once they're in poverty they're very unlikely to get out of it there's no other source of income there's no other way they, that's going to help them so kind of there's a uh, we used to do when I, one of my previous jobs working back on households below average income for for dss there's a, an indicator there about persistent poverty and how many people are in uh, poverty three years out of four which uh, i really should have looked up before i came on and talked about this but i think because <laughs> i don't know what the figures are but I, I would it would be really surprising if there wasn't more persistent poverty uh, mm. amongst pensioners than there than there are amongst the rest of the population mm. so so i think it's important to look at that but but also if you don't have a triple lock uh, or if you have lower in increases in the state pension then the state pension in the future will be lower that means that the younger generation should be saving more today to make up that gap yeah so that money has to come into it somewhere uh and there's a, there's always a very interesting discussion about what the most efficient way of, of spreading those resources is whether it's through the state or through the private sector and generally mm. a balance is a is not a bad a bad outcome should we um i'm sure we'll come back to this darren what's your What's your news? Yeah, so so just picking up on one of the themes in um, Louise's excellent piece, um, there's a gaining pensions expert um, looking at an article um, by Nick Reeve, who's a new editor. Uh, welcome on board, Nick. Um, great to see you back. And I think Nick um, Nick's still in Barbados, so he's um, <laughs> editing a pensions <laughs> magazine from Barbados. You know, lucky man, lucky man. You know, I, you know I, I, I wish I could do pensions policy from the beach in Barbados. That's all I'm saying. Have you ever you tried? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, uh, well, this know. is, you know, you're self-limiting. It's not. I am, uh... I am, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I just thought it's quite, it's quite an interesting one because um, Kushner consolidates workers' pension trust in Master Trust first. And we've, we've mm. talked a lot about consolidation on this podcast and, you know, um, different deals that have been done and announcements that have been made and that. And I think it was a in master trust first bit that really sort of piqued my interest mm. because, um, you know, the, the, the gist of the article is that, um, you know, Workers' Pension Trust was um, acquired by Cushion. And I'm doing the air signs, which is really not very good form yeah, for a podcast, um, <laughs> back in uh, June 21. Um, and I think that meant them bringing on board 140 odd thousand members um, and, you know, goodness knows how many millions um, of assets but I think that what Cushion are actually announcing is that rather than just bringing them on board and being um, a section within the master trust they've actually gone full-on and consolidated them into the actual scheme and I think quite often people don't necessarily or, or not they're not necessarily fully aware of the steps involved in that or the fact that just because an organization has required uh, sorry, has acquired a scheme from another organisation doesn't mean necessarily mean that that full consolidation has actually taken place, mm -hmm. and it's that full consolidation which is important from a member's perspective in terms of um, single parts, etc., etc., etc. But also that really drives economies of scale as well, because yeah. yes, there's some economies of scale um, from just a general you know acquisition uh, point of view. You know, they, you'd imagine marketing costs, sales costs, that type of stuff. Um, you know, um, you get some economies um, by that form of consolidation. But I think it's only by, you know, properly consolidating into that sort of single scheme where you really, truly 
um, reap the benefits of scale and almost deliver that super trust model that you know has been at the heart of uh, the, the view of our system for for a while now um yeah. and yeah they're, they're just as we talk about super trust and it's not a deliberate segue at all well it is a bit um we've actually got joanna seegers um on the podcast in a couple of weeks time uh Nico, um and she was um one of the you know driving forces behind this super trust or you know um scale model yeah for pensions back in um, mm. um 2009 um you know 2010 when we were really looking at how auto yeah. enrollment was introduced but just on um so the, the 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 master trust first bit um i guess if true it's a bit shocking isn't it that uh all of the consolidation we've seen hasn't resulted in a consolidation of rules hmm. um and then i instantly had in mind the easy build consolidation that was one of the the stakeholder um product that uh, bnce offered uh, which we uh, 100% took into the people's pension between in two slices. Uh, and I'd forgive me if I can't exactly remember. Was it 2017, 2018? And then the, the final slice was actually, I can tell you exactly, March 2020, a terrifying time to be doing uh, <laughs> asset trades. Um, so that, obviously, that's a stakeholder. So maybe that doesn't count see it seemed you know generous to the uh press release was was my yeah yeah well i think there's i think that the the easy build one was an interesting example because fundamentally it was Mm. a very similar system and very similar Mm. rules like you know like yes it was subject to stakeholder rules tpp you know was subject to master trust and that but 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 fundamentally at the core of the thing there was a lot of similarities um so you know, I think um, you know that might be a reason um, mm. when that happened, and it wasn't an acquisition either. Yeah, because it was owned by the same company, so there was an alignment within that. But you're right that you're what you're doing yeah. is you're you're pulling together two different things. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I'd like to I'd like to learn a bit more about it actually, because you know, as I say, we talk a lot about consolidation. We talk about a lot of acquisition. You know, there's lots of stuff going on in yeah. the market, or at least we're led to believe. You know, and it's obviously in some people's interest. Uh, you know, to, to to give that impression and and, and stuff. Um, but the um, but you know, like I think that you know, if we are trying to deliver that final aim of better member outcomes. Yeah. Mm. Then ultimately, we need to be clear about what good looks like, as we were saying early on, and and, and what it actually means when we get there. And I think just um, having organisations hoovering up um, assets and running them as sort of separate schemes yeah. only gets you a little bit of the way there. Yeah. But I mean, just with my actuarial hat on, apologies. Um, you know, it would surprise me if the rules of two DC schemes set up for auto enrolment were particularly distinct. So the contribution rates aren't written into the rules. No, um, they're set externally. Yeah, the uh, you can put whatever pension retirement age you like into it, but that only is a default policy piece. So surprise me if you write it into the rules, um, and well, certainly if you're an actor concerning caring about that. But if you're an actor, you wouldn't see any difference in benefit uh, because of a change from sixty-five to to sixty mm. or you know seventy or whatever, because uh, it's the minimum pension age which kicks in really. Yep. Um, you can argue about uh, uh, an investment strategy at default which takes equity risk later mm. um, uh, or earlier, um, but uh, there would be a trustee discussion around essentially the benefit of the consolidation concept mm. um there's no death benefits in the scheme um uh, you know except for return of lump sum so, there might be difference in charges but you'd expect to go on to the the kind of lower so it's it it, it just I'm, I'm struggling to find the thing except so, for legal fees well, <laughs> well i think time I, yeah well i think um, it's, i, I think kind it of makes that difficult I, I think it is legal fees i think it is time and effort and priorities yeah and mm. also i think it's admin yeah, I think um, you know, Chris, if you can put your dashboard hat on for a minute on this, yep. that um, <laughs> that you know, like the you know the, the systems and the compatibility between systems and data quality and all of that is is a huge challenge, and it's a huge challenge mm. when it comes to consolidation, and you know, a, a lot of it's being played out more widely now in terms of you know getting schemes to get ready for the dashboard, and I know you, Chris, along with yep. TPR and others, have been urging schemes to. Um, you know, get dashboard 
ready, especially when it comes to admin and data, because, you know, that's going to be fundamental to the success of the project. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those areas where I think it's 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 been a challenge for the for the dashboard program. We we quite often are shining a light on issues that are much bigger than dashboards mm -hmm. that exist in the industry, and and administrative data is definitely one of those. Uh, it's been around well that the challenges with admin data have been around for a long time, uh, and it's only really now as people uh, realize they have to get ready for pensioners dashboards and, and we're setting out the standards that they need to to uh, to reach uh, through the data standards and the quality that they're going to need to be able to provide they'll be able to match uh, with individuals all of that is really driving uh, a need for there to be big exercises right the way across the industry yeah. uh, in order to do that uh, so although the, the main focus is on getting ready for pensions dashboards it's actually something which will benefit the industry much more widely generally yeah. once data quality is is, is driven up so yeah. it's an important aspect for us and it is one of those we have to work hardest with it's it's not directly within our control uh, so we have to work mm. hard with the industry to help them understand what it is that they can do and how to do it and uh, uh, and make sure that it's done in good time so that when uh, when they do connect to dashboards when we do have people starting to use pensions dashboards to find their information uh, online securely and all in one place that uh, actually they get the right information through which is mm. as you say vital to the success of dashboards and and it is quite shocking the state of some of this data especially some of the legacy stuff you know um, mm. i'm not asking you to pass judgment on that as a dashboard program or as ppi but you know you just have you know it's just like the, the some of the case studies that you see on this um yeah, yeah. And, and it's no one's fault really it, it's just sort of happened over the years and i think yep. um you know there's one challenge which is the flow yeah yeah and, and we shouldn't underestimate that challenge because a lot of people think um you know auto enrollment schemes and those sort of with lots of active members and that should have good quality data and they've certainly got up-to-date data mm -hmm. you know but ultimately that you're reliant on a third party i.e the employer to put it in and employers mm. do make mistakes when they put data yeah. in and you can get some inconsistencies there so there's a flow issue um at least at the end of this but the stock issue you know um some of these pensions were literally and probably quite correctly at the time being run out of a cardboard box or a microfiche or yeah. on a microfiche you know yeah. so yeah. you know what do you expect so but 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 i think what we're seeing is that there is that need for that investment in data cleansing in um you know this is this is an opportunity for goodness knows how many reasons dashboard yeah. being one um at retirement support being another um you know you know better communications better engagement you know going digital whatever the reason actually is you know data's time is now isn't it mm -hmm. yeah um we, we we should move on but uh, uh, i just wanted to share a quick anecdote from when i was at barclay so our administration team had been in the building um in pool for for many many years and underneath the building were these lock-up garages uh, and one of them was the microfiche store um <laughs> <laughs> so there was like if you had to find a record between 1972 and 1989 or whatever the years were there was the one you know there was a key and you had to go down and you had to get permission to get the key and you had to go into the uh, pull up pull up garage door and get to the microfiche there we go um let's, chris how did you get into pensions <laughs> oh uh so really got into pensions because no one else wanted to uh, so <laughs> it sounds bizarre so so my career started uh, back in the 1990s, as uh, as we said at the start, back in DSS. So I joined straight from university, uh, graduate fast streamer in the economics fast stream, which I think probably sounds familiar to Darren. Uh, Certainly does. Uh, although I might have been a little bit earlier than you by the sounds of it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but so uh, straight into, into, into DSS and working for the first couple of years on income-related benefits, as they were called, and doing lots of modeling uh, to, to work out how, who was going to be on income support, housing benefit, mm. Uh, and at the time, it was uh, it was even before council tax was introduced. So uh, it was there was a, a poll tax support benefit. Can't remember what it was called. It wasn't the poll tax. It was uh, community charge. Community charge, yeah, community yeah. charge benefit. That was one of the first things that I was working on and modelling. So, uh, so, so, but after kind of eighteen months, two years, you, you you kind of move around and you shift into different parts of the department. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came to the time the the, the the time for me to move on to somewhere else. And uh, there was a role in pensions that no one else literally wanted to do because everybody <laughs> saw it as this is a dead end nothing of interest ever happens in pensions uh and that was 1993 94 i think 
uh, that I got into pensions. And mm. I think every single year since then, virtually bar maybe one, there's been pensions bills, there's been right. all yeah. sorts of things happening. So I managed to get in just at the time that uh, pensions actually became really interesting. Although, to be honest, I always found it interesting from the start. Mm. Uh, mm. One of my first jobs was to to help build uh, something called Pensim, which is oh, a, yeah. a kind of a dynamic micro simulation model that the department used for looking forward to 2020 because that was way out in the future. Uh, <laughs> actually, think about it. I should look back at some of the projections that we made to see kind of how close we were. The system's changed. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't recognize it, I think. Um, but yeah, so so I got into, got into pensions at that stage and spent a good good few years in in DSS working on various kind of uh, bits of pensions work. One of the really important things that I did was was the analytical support to a group called the Pensions Provision Group. Uh, they were the forerunners in a way to the Pensions Commission. Uh, Joanne Seegers was one of the members of that group. Mm. Uh, uh, a kind of a young economist called Paul Johnson was also a member of that group. So you could see it was pretty high powered mm. uh, for that group. And they they uh, did a report which well, well, highlighted... It certainly, it certainly had a lot of potential. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Definitely had a lot of potential. And I think I think if you see when you hear where it went, I think it's done done incredibly well. Uh, so they, they did a report looking at, at the pension system and they weren't, they weren't asked to make any recommendations just to provide an evidence base. Mm. Um, and what they, what they found was it was really difficult back in, I think it was 97, 98 mm. to provide that evidence base. So they recommended that an arm's length body should be set up to collect that information. Uh, the government toyed with the idea, and then I think when when the the group wrote a slightly critical report about uh, minimum income guarantee and the impact on incentives to save, funnily enough, uh, the government decided they didn't want an independent group set up to look at this. So the uh, the members of the pension provision group decided to do it themselves and set up a charity called the Pensions Policy Institute. So uh, I first came across the idea providing support from the department, and when it was set up in two thousand and two, uh, I'd left. DSS by then and spent a couple of years working in the, in the ABI. Uh, I think it was an attempt to get away from pensions, but I think it didn't really work. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was a time of stakeholder pensions, so doing a lot of work mm. then uh, at the ABI for that, and then joined the PPI in 2002. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 not a move that I ever regret, actually. I think mm. uh, pensions is fascinating, and I think uh, what we've come to realise is just how much impact they have on everybody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and you've and you so see, you've been a, a PPI for over twenty years. It would be twenty two years this 22 year. Twenty two years, wow! And in, in you know, like you've 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 been at the top of that organisation, and you're now running it and stuff. And you've got you've got a great team there, haven't you? Uh, it's it's uh, it's a pleasure to work with the team at the PPI. They are incredible. And actually, so I, I don't run the PPI. I work at the PPI, and there are oh, two or three other people there who run it. They know who they are. Yeah, they know who they are. They are they are very well. Actually, I say Maritha and Sarah, as much as anything else, they're they're brilliant uh, at making sure the organisation does what it needs to do. I mean, running the PPI isn't without its challenges. I mean, mm. it's not it's not especially the last few years. Uh, I mm. think as the industry faces challenges, the, us uh, as an organisation face the same challenges but it's always always enjoyable yeah yeah and, and where, and... where are you based chris you've got an office now i mean yeah. po post covid you, you sort of came back <laughs> yes we are we are back a little bit in the office so, so we, we, we're still based uh on kingsway so we're actually mm. hosted and we have been since we started hosted by king's college uh oh, so we right. have yeah. but we have uh space in in their buildings we've been in a number of different king's college buildings uh if you are uh the the, the tenant of a university and you're behind the academics in the in, in pecking order for which rooms and buildings you end up in uh <laughs> it took us a while to work up to where we are now but we're now co-located with the policy institute uh we have a very good working ah, relationship yeah. with uh bobby duffy is the the, the head mm -hmm. of the uh, the Policy Institute, and we we uh, kind of co-located with them in the in what used to be, I think, a building on Kingsway that used to house uh, the Government Actuaries Department, uh, oh, and I think yeah. Land Revenue might have been there as well. So, uh, <laughs> kind of recycling the yeah. uh, the buildings. Excellent. Uh, and um and and you weren't busy enough doing the PPI stuff, so you decided to um help the government deliver dashboards. Yes, uh, that's another exciting area, I think. Uh, <laughs> But I actually interesting. So, so I'm quite often asked why I why I kind of wanted to do to do this, and and I think it's it's something that not dashboards in particular, but but something that I've always kind of had in the back of my mind. 
the, I, I love the work of the PPI, but one of the challenges, and you'll recognise this as a as a trustee, Darren, is is trying to demonstrate what what it is that we achieve. So we really want to. Uh, provide evidence which improves pensions policy making and by improving the policy you improve the outcomes but apart from one or two things and I think issues around the, that the state pension uh, and the, the pace to save you were talking about it's very hard to kind of form any uh, any sense of causation that kind of we've done something which has led to something mm. else happening I think mm. I think we do a lot of I think we do influence a lot but drawing that direct link is very difficult uh, when the opportunity to work on pensions dashboards came up and what they were looking for in particular was someone uh, to help kind of uh, work with the industry uh, and to bring the industry and the government and the regulators together in order to help them co-deliver this. Mm. Uh, I thought, actually, this these are people that I know, these organisations I work with. Uh, and when we get to launch pensions dashboards, it's really a real tangible example of changing people's lives uh, and basically everybody. Uh, who has a pension in the UK, which through automatic enrolment is virtually everybody can benefit and hopefully at some point will access a pensions dashboard. And even just having that information, even though it's not going to change everything by itself, gives them a much better chance of being able to get a better pension and a better retirement mm. outcome. So uh, it didn't. I didn't have to think about it too long. I was very lucky that the PPI were uh, were. were uh, happy enough to to let me go down to working part time and to work part time on the dashboard. I'd still after it's coming up for five years. I've been on the dashboard program now. Right. So I don't think I've worked out the balance quite yet. <laughs> so how to fit in the, the right number of hours in. Uh, but but yes, I mean it's a it, it's it's again it's another amazing opportunity. Very big challenge, uh, but something which uh, kind of when it's when it's completed, when it's up there, when the dashboards are up and running, is going to be something which we'll all be incredibly proud of. And are you still are you still a modeler at heart? Are you uh, do you, do you get your hands dirty? And you, you mean and economic get... modeler, don't you? Yeah. Oh, well, you tell, you do. <laughs> I mean, a model builder. Yeah. Um, so... and, and, and Excel, is that? <laughs> I've, I've been known to dabble in Excel spreadsheets, yeah. uh, although my, I'm not up to date. Uh, so the, the, the modeling team at the PPI would be shocked at some of the modeling <laughs> that I was doing at the moment, I think. Uh, so I, 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 I tend to get things started and hand it over to people who really know what they're doing. Uh, yeah. But it's it's an interesting interesting concept. I do you do still think in that way? I think mm. you have that that mindset and you have that economics mindset as well from uh, from doing that. That that's that's where I started my career. Uh, but you do learn that the, where to find the the kind of boundaries around it, where where the limitations are as well. And yeah. actually, kind of just as important as uh, as being able to build a good model is actually knowing what you can't model. Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to take account of that as well so uh, I, i'm more in that space nowadays by, by kind mm -hmm. of working out what i can't give someone else to do to work out the answers to yeah. <laughs> that is the the top level of modeling is, is knowing yeah. when when to model yeah yes exactly and <laughs> um, when to model and when not to model yeah. yes yeah well so, and how how much confidence to present your results with as yes, well is the yeah. you know i think um uh, you know, having lived through the banking crisis, um, the sense that the models were trusted, you know, <laughs> very far more than they should do. Mm. Um, we obviously have those sort of paroxysms, uh, it seems like once a decade or so, maybe we're overdue, um, going back to LTCM in 97, mm. 98, uh, where the models said you can leverage, you know, one pound into a thousand, you'll be absolutely fine. Um, and then the Russians defaulted and seemed not to not to work. Um, let's well, not go I, off on too much. Yeah, no, but I think no, I think this is really interesting because um, we're going to have a lot of statistics presented to us over mm. the course of the next few months for opinion polls. Mm. Yeah, um, and we know that you know opinion polls they they they're useful. They, they they give um you know some trends and they give some sentiment analysis and you know but but not as accurate as they are pre as presented like okay. the margin of error in these things and the sample size is often quite small um so again i think that you know as we head into election 
both this side of the pond and over in America as well. Mm. I think um, the whole debate around statistics and polling, you know, goes mainstream, um, yeah. which is great, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it it is really interesting, and and I think uh, I think part of it is around getting the right sample. I think that mm. many. Uh, even if you have even if you have a big enough sample, are you sampling the right people? That can be a real yeah. challenge, especially when you're talking about elections. Uh, there's also revealed and unrevealed preferences, so mm -hmm. not everyone will tell you. So it's not quite often that they'll tell you what you, they think that they think you want them to say, rather yeah. than what they actually think themselves and what they're yeah. going to do. And what people say and what people do is often very different. But I think you're right. The key point here is around kind of kind of. Uh, the confidence intervals around it they can be incredibly wide yeah. with something we try to build into the ppi modeling uh, mm. so we do lots of stochastic work so we're not just coming up with a point estimate you, we can kind of give you a range of estimates mm. and probabilities you'll fall within that band and i think yeah. when you're looking at pensions that's really important yeah. uh we, we know that nothing's fixed and whatever whatever prediction i give you next year for where your where your pension pot's going to be that's the one place it's not going to be you yeah. know you're not going to get it 100 <laughs> right uh but if we can say well we're 90 certain it's going to be within this range that that yeah. if, as long as that range isn't too big then it, it can still be helpful so yeah. there's a lot that's going to be interesting i think what's yeah. that atomic law or quantum law nikkei um which is you can't um measure Eisenberg where something you, that's it you so you, so you can't yeah. measure where something is and the velocity of something or the speed you've of been trying to drag us into <laughs> theoretical physics for a long long I'm, time i just want to see uh, to see if you've still got it uh yeah i mean so uh how can we how can we explain this simply uh so essentially it comes down to the fact that everything is both particles and waves and uh when you have waves it's going to take too long but they all cohere <laughs> right they all overlap and they they um rule each other out uh and so to have the the most neat package is called a Gaussian. It's the normal distribution, mm. and if you have a package which is a Gaussian and therefore looks like a particle, then the uh, it's called the canonical variable is also a Gaussian, and that means that there's always an uncertainty distribution, and two one canonical pair is position and momentum, um, and I can tell a joke. Here we go. I've got, I've got, <laughs> oh, blind me. Blind me. Okay, first. so um, <laughs> electron, electron is speeding down the motorway, and the policeman pulls him over and says, "Did you know you were doing eighty miles an hour?" And he goes, "Brilliant! Now I don't know where I am." <laughs> <laughs> so the tighter, the tighter your Gaussian in one dimension, the looser it is. So if you exactly know where you are or how fast you're going, you you totally yeah. have no clue as to how fast you're going or where you are. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Very good. Brilliant. Very good. Quantum <laughs> physics joke. So um, that 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 is. I'll, I'll eke those out over twenty twenty four. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can do that. We can do more. that. The, yeah, the Nico, yeah, the Nico yeah. slot. Yeah. The Nico slot. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so obviously that's not value for money, Chris. Um. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 what is? <laughs> what does oh. value for money mean to you? <laughs> so it's interesting. So, so when I knew you were going to ask me this question, obviously did a little bit of thinking about it, and and the first thing I come up with, Pete Glancy stole last week, so I can't use that one. Uh, about what value for money is. Uh, thinking through this podcast, actually, uh, I, I could give the answer of uh, of me playing golf. That's generally value for money. Mm. I get many more shots than anyone else for the same yeah. price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think that, <laughs> I think that counts as being good value for money. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then kind of following on from from, from Lord Willett's answer uh, kind of earlier this week, I, I I would argue actually probably quite strongly that, that, that the PPI is really good value for money. Yeah. I think mm. we actually are delivering a public good. Uh, yeah. And uh, although uh, I think our supporters and those who commission research from us get value for money, there are lots of other organisations get even better value for money from just us existing. Or, or just get value. Don't <laughs> just get value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's not much money involved, but they get the value yeah. from doing it. So I think uh, kind of in, in thinking about institutional terms, then yes, something like the PPI provides mm. really good value for money. I think we yeah. punch way above our weight and, and in terms of the influence uh, and hopefully on the impact that we have on people's outcomes. Um, and, and one of the things you're really good at, yeah, um, is you, you produce the reports and the reports are well read and, you know, they, they always get picked up in the press and they always get cited in other research reports yeah. and that, which is which is really important. Yeah. But you also um, do quite a lot to encourage debate and discussion mm, and bring yeah. the industry together, which, again, yeah. is incredibly powerful. Now, I know yeah. you did something on Pop for Life earlier this year, didn't you? We, we did. And that was that was again, that was really, uh, I, I think, really valuable. So we uh, had a room, we had 40 different individuals from different organizations with an interest in the, the, the pop for life debate. Uh, and we gave them a short 
introductory presentation uh, from some of the facts and evidence that we have uh, around that and some of the international evidence. Uh, we had someone from the Department for Work and Pensions come to talk about what the policy was and what they were looking for and uh, kind Did of... Did they know? Did they yes. Know? They, were, yes. <laughs> they said yeah. they knew. They did. It was, and 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 I think that what they what they do is they made it made it clear is that this was for, this was information they're gathering evidence, yeah, not a yeah. consultation. It is a call for evidence. It's quite mm. open. Uh, but then we we kind of uh, organised people into tables, sat them down, gave them some some big flip charts and pens, and uh, got them to answer questions mm. for forty five mm. fifty minutes, and then share back as a group. And interestingly, six tables. Uh, you'd have thought there'd be a lot of overlap amongst the tables there was some but there was an awful lot on each table that was unique to that table which you yeah. could then share around everyone so everybody gets a better insight into what's going on uh, and a better understanding of what's happening and and has has have their perspectives widened uh, mm. to see what it's like coming from a different perspective that's always been one of the big attributes of the ppi we work with the whole spectrum of organizations and individuals involved right through from the Department of Work and Pensions and the regulator at one end through to Age UK and which as charities mm. in the other through asset managers, pension providers, trade bodies and associations, uh, employee benefit consultants, they're all there. And, mm. and what they get quite often is is hearing a different point of view and a different yeah. perspective. And that helps everyone, I think, provide a more, more well-rounded view in their mm. own workplace. Yeah, I've really always appreciated coming to the events you run. Um, I think the sense that you're kind of in with the right community and you get that sort of diversity of of attendee and people speak up and you know ask yeah. really really good questions I, i'd also and I, I don't want to be too flippant but um as a left-hander i really struggle to find good pens and the <laughs> ppi pens are fantastic <laughs> they're absolutely fantastic and you have a highlighter at the other end yep yeah, um, you do. So yeah, yeah. it is the most useful useful pen you know well, i get exposed to a lot of free pens um but <laughs> so there's value for money for you there value you for money ppi pens danielle will be over the moon that you have said that <laughs> i think we're giving a huge high five vfm podcast shout out to danielle baker from the ppi yeah. and she's going to be so embarrassed now isn't she chris she is. she'll be very embarrassed but secretly very pleased yeah no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. so, so we've we, we, we've probably got to wrap up quite soon um mm. but if if it's if it's that valuable, Chris, yeah. Um, how do people get involved? You know, um, who do how, how you know if, if people want to sponsor you, if people want to join the PPI, if people want to sort of have a chat with you know the team about membership or working together. You know, what's the best way of getting in contact? Yeah. So so the first port of call will always be our, our website, uh, which is pensionspolicyinstitute.org.uk. Uh, I don't think we fully understood when we picked a really long word. To or have or with the initials PPI, you <laughs> know. Oh, uh, the, the initials PPI were already taken, funnily enough. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, not, no. by, <laughs> not, not by the group you would have imagined. I think it was the uh, Paranormal Psychology Institute or something. Oh, so, yes. Uh, so oh, no, it might be worth looking that them, up yeah. every now and then and see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 but yes, yeah, come to the website. Uh, if you see me out and about anywhere, just, just come and come and chat. Uh, there's email contact details on there. You can see us on LinkedIn. Uh, Danielle Baker, who we've we've just really embarrassed, uh, is always happy to chat to people uh, about sponsorship or supporting membership that uh, you want to do. Or even if that's not in your space and you just want to to, to join in the debate and, and talk and participate, uh, we our doors are always open uh, mm. and we're always happy to to kind of bring in as many different perspectives as we can. So uh, do get in touch as quickly and uh, as often as you'd like. Perfect, and that's great. And um, you know, I'd I'd, I'd thoroughly, thoroughly endorse everything you said there, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. Great organisation. I've been involved with the PPI. I've been lucky enough to be involved with the PPI for a number of years. Um, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and um, you do sterling work. So, yeah, thank you for your contribution to the industry. Awesome. And, and thank you for your um, contribution to this podcast. Yes. Um, what a whirlwind tour of yeah. what's going on in pensions and. Um, fascinating to hear how you got into pensions um mm. a slight build on what most of our guests say because most of our guests sort of talk about getting into pensions by accident um <laughs> it might have been accidental for you but you know you were the one left holding the baby or i don't know if you did a pass a parcel type thing or, or whatever but you know but but lucky for the pensions industry that you did yes great um, that's what i would say so so nico um who have we got coming up uh so next week 
We have Sir Steve Webb, of course, uh, the Pensions Minister during the Coalition Government. So very much looking forward to speaking to him. Uh, and uh, we will announce our guest for the week after next week, no doubt. But we have a few irons in the fire. Uh, and then I believe the week after is Joanne Seegers. Joanne Seegers, yeah. And then we've, um, got, we've got Helen Dean mm. um, uh, from currently at Nest, um, Charlotte O'Leary, uh, Pensions for Purpose. Uh, James Barham from Schroeder's and Emma Douglas from Aviva. So we've got um, a, a great list of guests. Um, and, to... and some listeners might think that I do something towards booking, and I really don't. I must just fully acknowledge you on your 50th birthday, Darren. You are oh. the, the guest booker extraordinaire. Thank you for your work. So, so you know, um, guest booker, uh, marketing, um, podcast production. You know, I just provide yeah. you with a lovely platform to talk about. I provide you with a platform to, to talk about <laughs> astrophysics jokes there we are you know uh, not an astrophysics joke oh, isn't it what is it's it a quantum mechanics joke. oh right yeah okay okay <laughs> anyway um, anyway you can contact us at vfmpensions at gmail.com at gmail.com i always forget that and um yeah looking you got forward... any events coming up darren got any events I probably have, but we've probably gone along um, long enough on long enough today. Um, but Can we talk your... about May uh, the fourteenth? May the fourteenth. Be with you. No, uh, um, not yet. No, it's not confirmed. It's All not right. confirmed. Okay. Um, All right. But we will. We will Very be announcing something. It, yeah. If, yeah. If, if 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 we if it if it comes off, it'll be good. Um, but we've set up. We're going to have to do something on May the fourteenth now, if because you've just yeah okay. Um, anyway, I'm sure we will uh, do something. We will do something. Whether it's audience worthy is a different question. We're rambling now. So, <laughs> yeah. um, on that note, Chris, thank you very much. Um, you know, guest supreme. Um, best of luck with the PPI, and really looking forward to be um, messing about with my dashboard app when it finally comes to fruition. Yes. So, um, best of luck with that. Thank you very much to our listeners for for listening in. And until next time, it's bye from me. And uh, thank you, Chris. And until next time, it's bye from me. Uh, you're very welcome. Happy birthday, Darren. It's goodbye from me. <laughs>